0: The numbers all go to 11. I'm talking about bands that rock. Led Zeppelin. What about Sabbath? ACDC. Motorhead. Does that mean it's louder?
1: Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? We're not worthy! We're not worthy! Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number
0: and make that a little louder? These go to 11
1: my head days like this think i should be dead one for satan two for me let's cheat the devil it's fun don't you agree
2: welcome to the nothing shocking podcast from your co-host bob zerrell and i'm alone this week on the intro but eric is with me on the sh- actual interview with jean beauvoir the plasmatics uh crown of thorns with the, he's worked with the Ramones, Kiss, uh, did a movie with Stallone, <laughs> Cobra, the, well, he, the soundtrack. Uh, just in the movie Shocker, uh, he's a fantastic guest. Uh, before I get too far into the interview, I want to say we're located at zpnetwork.com. We're at the Nothing Shocking Podcast Community fan page, Quad Cities Rock and Roll Junkies interest group. We're on Twitter. Our handle is NoShockPod. Follow us there to see who's upcoming on the podcast. We've got several more guests in the pipeline. Uh, Not a whole lot going on. Our sponsors are Ragged Records. Uh, They're located in Rock Island, Illinois at the moment. Uh, We have Legends Picks. They're in Milan, Illinois. <clears throat> and Hong Kong Sleepover gives us the music that we use on our podcast. I want to thank them very much. Check out all their music on where you check out music at. Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play. Uh, I'm just scrolling through John Bouvard's website. And I don't know. It's It was one of the more fun interviews. And I know I say that every week. But he really was fantastic. And we just talked about the gamut. We talked about... Everything going on, like I think at the time when we did the interview, Slipknot's album was number one or had been number one. Uh, we talk a lot about Stallone, so why not release it the week that Rambo comes out? It's it's kind of fitting. Uh, it, it's just it was a great interview. I'm glad we had him on the show, and uh, I'm really excited for you to hear it. And since Eric's not here, I'm just going to throw straight to the interview. So enjoy.
0: Hello, John. I'm so sorry I'm a couple of minutes late here. I was trying to get the Skype thing set up on my phone. Oh, How are you?
3: Fantastic. Uh, My name is Eric Nesbitt, and I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Bob Zerl. Hello.
0: Okay, how you doing, Bob?
2: Pretty good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Where are you you guys?
2: We're in uh, kind of Moline, Illinois, Rock Island, Illinois, Davenport, Iowa, kind of west. Illinois. Okay, okay. That area, all right. so not,
3: not not too far away from your origins origins of Chicago when, when you were a That's kid. That's right. So we're about we're about two two and a half hours uh, uh, west of Chicago. So
1: yeah, okay, all right.
3: Okay. Well, first of all, number one is uh, your the the woman was Suzanne, is that right? Am I am yes, right? yes. Uh, who I was corresponding this interview with has been fantastic. Um, whatever you're paying her, she's worth her weight in gold. She's fantastic.
1: <laughs> all right, I'll
3: make sure I tell her. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. for sure. Well, um, so we're kind of a, a non-genre-based podcast. We kind of go all over the place with uh, guests. We've touched on everything, but we've never had a member of the pl- former member of the Plasmatics on, so we're excited to have you.
0: Oh, good. I'm excited to be on as
3: well. Well, um, I was (laughs) checking out your um, website a couple of days ago, and this past July you performed at the uh, Rocket of Ages Festival in Germany. Um, Yes,
0: yes.
3: uh, Can you kind of tell us about how that opportunity came about for you, and is this an annual thing that you do yearly?
0: Well, I do different festivals, you know, depending on the year. I mean, I'm hoping actually to do as many as I can next year, Um, like the year before I did Um, was it Bang Your Head and Grass Pop, uh, Asquina, which is this one in Spain. But actually for this one, I just got a a call from the owner. There's a guy who actually does Bang Your Head and does Rock of Ages. His name is Horst. And, um, you know, he just likes to bring over cool American bands. You know, he's had everybody. um, Well, Saxon played this one, Uriah Heap. Uh, You know, he has all kinds of people playing these things. Um, So you just basically gave me a call and said, listen, I've got a slot and I'd love to have you on. Are you into it? I <laughs> so, okay, let's do it. Fant- and that was it, pretty much. Yeah, yeah,
3: fantastic. So, I you know, I'd like to get your um, opinion on the festival. Um, I guess maybe festival... Uh, Landscape, you know, we have all these festivals that pop up over in Europe that we see, and now we're starting to see more and more mm. of them pop up in the uh, United States. I guess, you know, what is your yeah, that's right, yeah, your theory in, on on festivals is it getting oversaturated? You know, what what how do you feel about the festival thing?
0: I, I think it's a great thing. I mean, as an artist, it's a great thing because I think that, you know, people love to go outdoors. It's the middle of the summer. It's got, you know, great vibe. A bunch of people getting together like the old days of, like, Woodstock. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everybody's getting out to listen to a bunch of cool bands. And I think that for a lot of bands, they get an opportunity to play for a, a nice big crowd of people who might, you know, like a particular genre of music or some of these festivals, you know, actually mix up the genres. You know, they'll have heavy metal, death metal, and then they'll have, you know, a few melodic rock bands, a few of these, you know, usually stays within the rock genre or other festivals will do pop or as you know, there are like ultra festival that'll do dance, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a great gathering, you know, for people to just get together, go have a great time with their friends. They usually make a weekend out of it. They fly from all around the world. And um, you know, and they just go hang out and enjoy a good day listening to cool music, discovering new music, and listening to people they're into. you know, so I think it's good.
2: does it make touring harder for bands? I mean I, I ask I feel like it's changing or it seems like you know four or five years ago bands were coming through you know three or four times a year, and it was they're like they ah. were like Eric said, they were starting to get oversaturated, but i I do feel like that's starting to go away a little bit, but does the festival help or hurt that?
0: you know i guess in a way it could probably hurt that you know um i guess for a couple of reasons well for one thing you know the festivals are fairly expensive for people because they're getting all of this music that they get to see rather than one band Mm -hmm. you know so they're gonna get to see you know especially the bigger ones might have you know five big bands you know that they would normally go see individually Right. But then if they'd have to go see those bands in- individually, they'd have to It'd be more expensive. Right. Because if you had to go see Kiss, uh, you know, somebody else, Metallica, that right. one, that one. I'm sorry. Every, every time they go around, you know, you'd be spending a lot of money doing that. Um, you know, so, but this way, I guess um, it's easier for the bands, you know, because they could play one festival and reach a lot of people, you know, because a lot of people will go to one festival or two festivals in Germany. So that's why they even have the rules, which, yeah, which might also affect all of this, that they have rules, the festivals that let's say you're playing bang your head festival or something. You're not allowed to play a certain amount of miles, pretty big distance within Germany, within X amount of time, because they don't want the people going to see, you know, your show. And they say, well, I already saw them, so I'm not going to go to the festival, Right. you know, uh, and since there are so many people that come to the festivals, they usually can pay pretty well. You know, so for bands, it's usually a better move than to go, you know, it depends on the band, but uh, like a younger band who's not sure what they're going to draw, you know, going out there, it can be risky for them to go on tour, you know, because they right. go out there and tour and then maybe a hundred people show up to the club and, you know, and they have like some door deal or something like that. And then they, they don't get anything where the festival is almost guaranteed. They're going to have a lot of people because once they have their headliners in place, everybody else is kind of getting the benefit. Of, of the whole day sale you know what i'm saying yeah. it's like a walmart <laughs> it's, it's like a
2: walmart, walmart of, it's like walmart of bands <laughs> it does seem like it's working though i mean it, you know it, a few years ago we were worried about the future of rock you know in, in popular culture and now you got bands like ghosts and greta van fleet and even slipknot's new album they're number one and you're starting to hail storms yeah. coming out and so you're having all these bands starting to get to that arena level which i didn't think was going to happen again uh so it, yeah, it, it is working that's
0: right so slipknot's number one I, I actually haven't been watching the charts but yeah they're number one
2: yeah something like that and then they i mean i've only read right uh, headlines and like tool is like they own like 10 spots on with because they released <laughs> all their albums digitally this week or something like that oh so,
0: god yeah so that's it's, heavy yeah that you know that's good i mean it's good news i mean i think it's good news i was told not that long ago that you know rock was going to you know be the biggest genre this year and and that calculation kind of came based on all of these different things you're saying how many bands are going to be on tour the fact that Kiss is doing their end of the road tour right. the fact that you know this many bands you know these many bands are going to actually release albums this year so when they put it all together they end up saying you know rock is going to have a very strong presence this year and it seems like that's what's happening you know
3: I, I wanted to kind of touch upon um, you know, the festival scene as far as you know, when you're when you are performing at a festival and any any other artist that's performing at a festival, obviously the set list is not as great as it would be if you were playing your own show somewhere, somehow, someplace. Um, I guess when ah, it
0: not always not always. That's not no, because it depends it depends on your slot. So like for example, I was what? third on the bill or third fourth. they had a, i was fourth that they had um, a special guest that came last minute so that's a fairly good spot so i got to do an hour was it 70 minutes or 80 minutes you know which is like if you're one of the afternoon bands then they might limit you to 30 or 40 minutes then what you're saying is correct but if you're one of the higher spots you'll still get to do a, a full show
3: oh Okay, we've had other artists that have come on before that have kind of expressed, like, you know, I like the festival thing, but I just, I obviously, it's, I'll be according to where they're playing. And, like, oh, we just can't get uh, our full set list in. It's not what, we, you know, we we'd uh, usually do, or things like okay. that, so.
0: Well, that could happen, and also, I don't really know, I haven't been to, you know, that many festivals here in the U.S., to be honest, so I'm not sure what they're doing here. Are, are they cutting them down? Are they cutting bands to uh, 30, 40 minutes, or... I mean, it, here in the U S when you go to festivals,
2: I don't, we don't go to that many either. I went to one in Chicago and it, and it rained a lot. And okay. like in this moment, got to play three songs and three <laughs> bands got, kicked. but you know, that's when you're when you're outdoors, you, you, the weather does play a factor too. So yeah, it, I guess it depends, yeah. but yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, for, for me, I'm not a big, you know, as far as an outdoor venue thing goes, I mean, I, I do enjoy it, but I do notice that a lot of the times I've, I'm a big wuss when it comes to that because I like air conditioning. I like to sit down. I you know, I don't <laughs> like bugs. But.
0: I understand. I understand. <laughs> I, I definitely understand. That's, you know, that's, that, that's something that people have to consider. People in <laughs> Europe, they love to go outside. They love to be out there. They're always outside drinking beer. Or You know, even in Scandinavia, it could be like zero degrees out. <laughs> and everybody, they're all standing around like penguins. <laughs> you know, like, just, just drinking beer in minus two degrees outside all night. <laughs> Something that we Americans wouldn't be doing. Oh,
2: no. <laughs> Is that the main difference between the European audience and us? I mean, that's, I feel like, especially a few years ago, we had, we had a hard time getting us to show up to things. And, you know, I would talk to somebody, I can't remember who it was, and he was like, Mariah Carey will play one night, and then Slayer will play the next night, and the same people are at both shows. <laughs> they just like to go out oh, and go. Is that they, kind of how it is over there?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just want to they, – they really love the the whole music thing, you know, and they love the festival thing. And they they look at it, like I said, as, as more of an outing, you know, kind of a thing. I, I I meet a lot of, you know – groups of guys or girls that will fly in first of all they come from everywhere so it's not just you you have people oh we're from brazil or from italy or from this you know and they get together with their friends and they get like a whole posse of people and they all say we're gonna meet at this festival in netherlands we're gonna meet at this festival there so it's like a big like get together of friends to go hang out And you know, and the bands play even a you know less important role. (laughs) I mean, it's like you know they're playing it doesn't matter. We'll be drinking beer when that band's playing, or we'll be doing this. You know, (laughs) so it's um yeah, they 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 like it. They like to go out there and just do their you know go enjoy the outdoors, especially you know some of those countries in Europe where they have some lousy weather (laughs) most of the time.
2: (laughs) Uh, that is something I've noticed. Like, I've with like sites like Blabbermouth, I feel like we're more closed minded in America. Like, we like what we like, and then, you know, you know, I like Slipknot, but I hate Disturbed. You know, or you know, we just kind of. Ah. Were you ever as a fan like that, or were you always pretty into everything?
0: Well, I've got a. To... For me, I have a wide variety of what I like. So it's a, I'm probably the wrong one to ask, because I like everything from, you know, I'll listen to Motown one day, mm-hmm. one day I'll listen to some smooth jazz, one day I'll listen to metal, one day. Right. So I have a really wide, um, you know, taste in music myself. But for going to see bands, um, I'd say I'm a little bit like, like that, like you, that I like to see bands that I like. And it's not so much for me to just go hang out <laughs> in a, <laughs> and, and I mean, I'd want to go see a show I'd want to go see. Him. That would be more attractive to me personally.
3: Well, I guess, you know, as an artist, where, where is your preference now when it comes to, to when, it, when it comes to playing live and, and touring? Um, do you still, you know, prefer getting on the bus and driving all around or are you, You know, with the methods now, or the fly in dates where they play the weekend warrior type thing, or, you know, they. Yeah, that's very popular now. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. In in, in this part of your career, um, you know, what is your preference?
0: Well, you know, um, I've never really been that much of a bus fan personally, (laughs) to be quite honest with you. It's just one of those things, especially if you're always on the bus. You know, I like buses if you're going like a distance from here to there four hours and you're done. But the thing of like living on the bus, you know, I'm a little bit older now and after you know, after a certain while you like the comfort of a hotel room, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you don't wanna necessarily be, you know, hanging out on the bus trying to get the mohawk together <laughs> <you know? laughs> and waking up all scraggly and sweaty. <laughs> yeah. and it's like okay now let's go take a shower and uh, you know in that little shower they have at the back of the club and you know, that was cool when I was a teenager on the club <laughs> and, you know <laughs> but uh, but now you kind of you know you, you like a little bit more comfortable situation you know but that's me then I got guys in my band that just love buses you know it'll be yeah. on that thing all, all the time it's just their it's just a preference you know I, I can remember when I was touring Europe even going back to a band called Voodoo X, and we did a fairly lengthy tour of Europe. And I actually did something where we rented cars. So the crew was on the bus, and since everything was kind of within Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and you know, nearby France, etc., we actually managed to rent, you know, really nice cars. And we had like a Mercedes five sixty, two Audi Quattros and a BMW, for example. So we do two guys in each car. So then we could stay in town, hang out there, and then in the morning we could get up and leave at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning and be at the next venue in time for sound check, Where the crew would have to go because they have to load in at 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. So when you have a situation where the bands have to do that with the crew at the same time, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. You know, even for singers, you know, because that means that you're not really getting that much sleep. You know, you're staying... You're leaving right after the venue. You don't get to hang out in town and hang with the fans. You don't get to you know, do much of anything. You're okay, the bus is leaving. And then you're driving and arriving at 7 o'clock in the morning. And then you're sleeping. Out. You know what I'm saying? It, it could be a little uh, you know, disorganized, a little uncomfortable to try to keep everybody happy, if you know what I mean.
2: Is that something you try to do, though, on the road, is try to enjoy the cities? Because a lot of the complaints that you hear from artists, not really complaints, but just every day is the same, you're just in a different city, but it, you know, it's hotels and arenas, so you don't necessarily know the difference. Is <laughs> uh, yeah. that something you were able to kind of do aside from that tour, you know, is enjoy the cities you were in and kind of experience the cultures?
0: I I like to do that, you know, so that's, the Springsteens and, you know, cause they, they really take their time. You know, they do three shows a week and, you know, right and, and they, you know, go stay in the city for two days and then they take off, but we're not all that fortunate to get to do that. But whenever I get a chance to be able to stay in the town, I, I would like to, I, I like to do that. You know, it's, it's fun. You get to see the place a little bit, you get to chill, you know, and then the next day you can take off to someplace else. Rather than, like you say, just going from bus to venue, bus to venue every single day. That could get pretty pretty tiresome.
3: I know I kind of wanted to kind of switch gears on you a little bit here. I know early this year that uh, you performed at the uh, KISS Expo in Indianapolis. Uh, Yes. Can you give us some more information with your involvement with the KISS Expo? And once again, is that like an annual thing for you?
0: Yeah, it's becoming that. You know, I was never involved in the KISS Expos before for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden, you know, I got a call last year and um, the first one was in New York, New Jersey. You know, New Jersey was actually, but they call it the New York, New Jersey Expo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically they said, you know, this is a cool thing. These things happen all over the world and they're kind of put together by the Kiss Armies. And it's basically for fans to come check out, you know, get memorabilia and also meet people that had some involvement with Kiss one way or another. You know, and sometimes some of the Kiss guys show up like... The Indianapolis one, I believe what Tom, Tommy Thayer was there, you know, Bruce Kulick, Bob Kulick, you know, a lot of the people that did stuff with Kiss at one point, you know. Um, so it's kind of fun. Then all the fans just come and they, you know, get to meet a lot of cool people. You get to hear a lot of cool stories, you know what I mean? You get to find out things about yourself you didn't even know. You know what I mean? So it was, Um, I, I enjoyed it. And at the same time, you know, there's usually a jam. So, let me see, the one in Indianapolis, I jammed with James band, you know, the, the same band that plays with Ace Freely and, and Gene the Talisman, and these guys are like KISS experts, they know every KISS song, I think they do a residency in Nashville where they play KISS stuff all the up, and I did three of the songs there cool you get to do like a three four songs you know for the fans at the same time you get to meet a lot of people and, and once again all these kiss fans from all over america fly in. oh so.
3: uh, john we lost you there for a second i'm sorry about that so we hit a lot of dead air can can you re-answer that question
2: again <laughs> or just like okay. the last five well, seconds of is, that, <laughs>
0: the kiss Expo, uh, is okay can yeah. you hear me now yeah yeah Okay, I think it's a good thing. I think, because first of all, it's a great way for KISS fans to, you know, reconnect. Um, it's usually something that's done by the KISS armies all over the world, you know, which has it's, it's grown to be quite big, you know. And at the same time, you know, you'll have people who were involved with KISS in one way or another. So you have like Bruce Kulick, Bob Kulick, uh, uh, Tommy Thayer was at the one in Indianapolis, um, and different bands that were involved or writers or. You know, players that might have played something on the on Kiss albums, and they all get to come and meet the fans, hang out, listen to stories, share stories, and plus we get to perform. So we play like three or four songs, you know, songs that maybe I wrote or played bass on or or something else. So I think it's a treat, you know, for the Kiss fans to come to these things and they go and buy a bunch of memorabilia and there's usually some unique merch that's being sold, you know, and a bunch of interesting things. So it's um, you know, it's like a cool car show, but for like (laughs) Rock and roll, you
3: know what I mean. I, I guess you know. Pardon my ignorance, but how is the KISPO kiss? KISPO, KISS Expo. Okay. Um, I or- like that at <laughs> <laughs> like The kiss. How is it organized? You know, obviously, it's kind of with you know Gene and Paul. Sometimes they get very <laughs> litigious. Sometimes, but how does it all work out? Who organizes it, and who kind of is able to use the kiss name to create something like this?
0: Well, actually, the one that um, I was involved with, there are two people. The guy named Keith Larue, who actually is Paul Stanley's right hand guy, uh. um, who, who actually organized uh, two of them that I was at, um, and, and another guy, Steve, also is like his partner. I'm trying to remember his, his last name, but um, and these two really nice guys, and they're you know Kiss fans, but they work with the Kiss camp. I'm not sure how that gets worked out. Whether Kiss is getting a piece or not, that I don't know. To be honest. But um but they're obviously, you know, abreast of what's going on because, you know, the guy who did it is on tour with Paul and Kiss, and all right. of a sudden he's going to do this KISS expo, you know? So it's um so they managed to keep everything as it should be. Let's put it this way, authentic and, you know, it's, so it's not like a bootleg operation. It's you- something that they kind of have their Eyes on, but I don't think that the KISS guys are actually controlling anything from it. They're just giving the endorsement.
3: There's so for him to be able to do it. Yeah, and there's so many I see so many of these KISS expos and KISS crews and all these things pop yep. up all the time. Um I guess, you know, my question to you is do you ever think that, you know, these expos and what have you might be oversaturating it? But I guess <laughs> that was the same question they were asked in the seventies and I don't know. But what is your thought on all that?
0: You know, it's like it's funny. It's like you said, the same question they were asking in the 70s, and now we're sitting here in 2019. It's pretty funny, actually. Um, you know, you think that... It's almost like rap. You think Everybody thinks it's going to die next year, and it's still around. Right. It never goes away. You know, it just gets bigger. But, um, uh, you know, I guess they just will keep doing as, as much as they can do, and this is not something that's fueled by the Kiss guys. So... It's it, it's not even their thing. So this is something that's in reality is organic. You know what I mean? It's something that Kiss fans want to actually do this to create gatherings for them to to kind of have more Kiss stuff for themselves. You know what I mean? So it's like almost like we're going to create you know a Kiss camping trip. You know what I mean? So that we can all. You know. So we can all go, you know, go cook out to Kiss. So, you know, it's almost like that. And the Kiss guys are like, yeah, okay, go ahead. (laughs) They just kind of, they kind of go with it. So the Kiss cruise, on the other hand, is something that the Kiss guys are involved in. You know, I mean, so that's that's something, a real Kiss event, Kiss is playing, you know, and so they're really involved in that. But that's different than the Expos. The Expos are organic and, you know organized by fans, I also did one in uh Finland, which was great too oh very you know, cool it a whole different thing and organized
2: by fans you know that is cool no I mean it is cool you know? you've obviously done songwriting for several bands and when you're when you're doing the songwriting, is it something you're doing by yourself or are you collaborating with the band? You know, or you know, how does that all come about? I guess when did you start writing for other bands aside from yourself?
0: Well, I started really young. I mean, I started I was already on tour at what fourteen right. and um by fifteen I was on tour with Gary U. S. Bonds and you know, doing all those Dick Clark shows and I was already writing songs. I started writing songs probably at thirteen years old. You know, it's like I had like a junior high school rock band where it all started where a teacher of mine, it's funny, now we have School of Rock, right. it's, um, it was a teacher of mine, a math teacher, that you know had played in a band that opened for the Who once, and he just had it in his blood. And he knew, I was a drummer at the time, and he knew I played drums and liked rock and roll. He said, why don't we put a little thing together for after school? And anybody that wants to get involved, you know, could get involved. We could have four or five singers, three bass players, whatever it might be, and encourage kids to want to learn to play these instruments And then they'll come after school, we'll learn the songs, and then we can play at all the functions. So that's how it started. And so when you started doing that, I already started writing songs because it was a way for me to express myself. So, you know, whatever, if you get, you know, break up with a girl or something like that, I'd go write a song about it. And then, you know, and then all the kids would come to the dance or whatever it was. And oh, he's going to sing that song about. <laughs> her, her, or whatever it might be or you know. Awesome. So it was kind of a fun thing. And that's that's how it started with the songwriting. And then I started doing that and then, you know, became more proficient at it. And then um let me see, what did I actually then the plasmatics is probably No, I play originals with my own band. So I had my own band. After that junior high school rock band, mm-hmm. I had a band called Topaz that started, kind of played the whole Long Island scene. Around the same time as Twisted Sister and Zebra and <laughs> yeah. you know, Rat Race Choir and all these bands that were popular in the New York area. And there I already started throwing original songs into my set. And then from there it just kept going. And then the Plasmatics was really my first pro band, you know, where right. we were putting records out. So then I started co writing with the Plasmatics. And then from there, you know, it just moved from there. So Plasmatics, then I went on to Little Steven. I was trying to do a solo record, so I was always writing original songs at that point. And then by the time I got my solo deal, which was probably around 1984, 85, at that point, that's when I actually started actively writing with other artists. So at that point, that's when I did John Waite stuff. You know, there was one of my songs, for example. That one I wrote by myself. It was a song that I had when I was doing demos for my record. But I didn't have a record deal yet, and EMI had reached out to me and said, "Oh, this guy John Waite's making a record. We really love this song. We're not going to sign you, but we love the song." <laughs> you know, I was like, "Okay, well, it's better than nothing. All right, so why don't we do that?" And then so I ended up doing that, and then next to you know John Waits' record. Uh, you know, had that Missing You song on that record as well. And the album flew up and went double platinum. You know, so then one thing leads to another. Then then uh, I ran into Paul Stanley. And then we wrote a couple songs together. And then, then I finally got a manager. And then, so the, then I got involved with the Ramones. And so all the different people, I know Richie, all these different people started kind of coming out, you know, because you get a publisher at that point which is, a publisher is basically somebody who's supposed to solicit your songs to other artists, to TV, to commercials, to films, Mm -hmm. and you try to get them to set you up with Mm co-writes. Not that they ever really did a good job of it, (laughs) because I can't really think of one co-write they actually set me up with. But, actually, I can think of one, one. It was the Shocker song, Ah. actually, yeah, Shocker. Desmond Child and I were sitting in EMI's office in LA at the time. And we were just visiting our A&R people from the publishing company. And then they actually said, you know what, guys? You guys are both in the house here. We need a song, a title song for the film Shocker. Why don't you guys go write it? (laughs) (laughs) We said, okay. And then so we just, they had a little room, a little thing with the piano. So Desmond and I just ran into that room and we wrote Shocker. And then that's how that came about. And then it got recorded, and there were some great people who actually played. I was, what, Rudy Sarzo played bass? Uh, 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 Tommy from Motley Crue played drums. Uh, Who else was... um, Vivian Campbell played guitar. It was a really happening (laughs) setup for (laughs) for this kind of put-together song. Even a band was put together, the Dudes of Wrath, which was just... Paul singing, Desmond did some singing, you know, these other guys, and he just got together to do this song to get this thing for the title track. But that's how it kind of came about. But, and to, the last question who do I co write? Mostly with bands, I co write. Personally. Because I like the idea of getting involved with the band and trying to almost be like an additional member for that moment. So you can get a real good feeling of who they are. Like you could be a fifth Ramon for a while and, you know, and try to write a song that, you know, is fitting for the Ramones. And I always felt that the best way to do that is by actually working with them instead right. of pitching something from the outside, even though I've done both. But, you know, for, for those cases, like the Ramones, Kiss, Paul and I would write together. You know, Ramones, we'd write together. And um, actually right now I'm doing a lot of writing. You know, that might be a later question, but yeah, For some reason, I just decided this year I wanted to really do some more writing. And, and you know, I chose some interesting bands. So I just wrote uh, some songs with a band called Lordy. Remember the, the yeah. band Lordy, mm-hmm. that won that Eurovision contest? They dress like the Monsters out of Finland. Mm-hmm. They actually put... It's a rock band. Do you know Lordy?
2: I know of them. I don't know. Oh, them,
0: okay. Yeah. They kind of... They dress... They, they're wild. They dress like <laughs> Monsters, mm-hmm. and it's like this... These amazing costumes. They made some great records, and they they won something that's not popular here. It's called the Eurovision Song Contest, and that's the contest that ABBA won, and all these acts that became really famous won these things. And it's basically a competition for songwriting and artists from around the whole world, like a World Cup. And I believe it's coming to the U.S. next year, and I think the U.S. is finally going to submit to this. Oh, that's cool. But um, so they won this for Finland which kind of made them the most famous band in Finland because nobody ever thought Finland would ever win a contest like this. And then all of a sudden they won it, so they became national heroes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so now they're like, they put Finland on the map. So I'm writing with them. I did some stuff with Lita Ford. Um, we're, we're still working on it right now. Uh, then another German girl, Jessica Wolf, and this other girl named Brit Lightning that plays with Vixen. So I've done a lot of... Um, songwriting this year, more so than I've done in a while, as far as co-writes go.
2: Do you have to be inspired to write a song, or are you? is it to the point that it's just something that comes natural to you?
0: You know, I, I do. It's funny you mention that, because it's like, um, yeah, I, I can, sometimes I can be really inspired depending on my environment, depending on how I feel personally inside. Like, I've had I don't know the past months I had a real creative time where, for some reason all, all of a sudden I'd write like ten song ideas mm-hmm. you know in a matter of a few days, you know, and when I went to write with Lordy, we actually wrote seven songs in two days, Jeez. so it was a lot I don't know why just ideas were just pouring into my head for some reason, you know, and that happens sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't it's not something you could really control i think it kind of depends on your environment how you feel or where you are the people around you so to answer your question yeah you do have to be you know you can always write a song you could always sit down and just write a song you know right but to write something really good you know or something where you're excited about it and you really feel it it usually comes from some kind of inspiration
3: well, you know, it's kind of funny that you 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 talked about this because the question I was going to ask you was, you know, what you wrote the song uh, "Feel the Heat" from the movie Cobra mm-hmm. was featuring Sylvester Stallone. Was that your first song you had written for a movie or TV program?
0: I'm trying to think. I think yes. I think yes, actually. And the, the fact is, the song wasn't actually written for the film, but it was. The timing worked out perfect, so it was one of those things where I had "Feel the Heat" was going to be my first single. And Stallone was in Warner Brothers Pictures in Los Angeles editing Cobra. He walked by the studio where a girl named Mary Lambert, who had directed my video, who's also a film director... She did. Um, was it Pet Cemetery? Yeah, she did Pet Cemetery. She's done, you know, quite a few movies and a lot of music videos. And so she was editing my video, and Stallone walked by. He heard the song. And it's funny. I had a cobra in the video. <laughs> you know, just a big animated cobra that would just pop out of the video. He just saw the video, listened to the song, and he called my management office and said, "Listen, I just heard the song. That's going to be the song for my whole cobra, you know, campaign. I'd like to use it for." A real like integrated campaign. It's it's right for me, and so that was a very pleasant surprise. You know, and somehow it just worked.
3: Awesome. <laughs> you, uh, I wanted to kind of go back to Shocker for a second, and uh, um, <laughs> it was a awesome soundtrack. I mean, just a fantastic soundtrack to one goofy movie. I mean, talk about <laughs> a very goofy horror flick. And I don't even know if you could call it a horror flick. It was so weird, <laughs> but. <laughs>
0: it was i i hear you um hear you.
3: Do, do you have a, an opinion on that movie or not or do, or can you even say
0: you know i i haven't watched it in years and years and years but i think i have the same uh, i left with the same impression you did that it was like you know we were excited about having songs i had two songs in there i had a song from my band Voodoo Food, x also on the soundtrack but i was uh so we were excited about that, probably too excited about that to really give much thought to what the movie was. <laughs> you know, but I think I think I remember it being pretty goofy to be honest with you. Yeah.
3: I have a, a 21-year-old and uh he it was on this past Halloween on AMC or something like that. I said, "Hey, you want Yeah, oh, okay. you know, I said, "Hey, you want to watch this movie with me?" And he goes, "Yeah, sure, whatever." You know, a 21-year-old, he doesn't he just it's just whatever. And it, it, we started okay. watching it, and he, he said to me, he's like, man, this is some pretty cool music in this movie, but, man, this is the dumbest movie I've ever
1: watched
0: before. <laughs> oh, brother. Like, I, I, I know, it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> I you know. I, they're not always the best movies, I've got to say. but You know, it's, uh, it, was good, it was good for us anyway. It's just the fact that it was just a cool thing to have songs in it, you know. <laughs> that, that was the cool thing, you know? Absolutely, and the cool. Cobra thing was very serious. Yeah. That was really good luck, and that thing just kept going and going, and really became a cult movie at the time. And people had bad opinions about Cobra too. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, you know, I've I've heard some bad you know opinions, but I think a lot of people didn't realize that when it came out, it actually was the biggest release of any film in the history of film. It was released on two thousand two hundred seventy-three screens. Stallone had the biggest advertising budget that had ever been given to a Hollywood film. He broke his own record, which was Rambo, and it did two times Top Gun.
2: I had no idea, I had no idea. Nah, I've, I know. I've always been Nobody a Nobody did it apologist. until I actually
0: went and started. You know, uh, I'm working on a, a book, actually. So, you know, you had to do some research <laughs> and check things out. And then I start to look at the facts, and I'm like, whoa, it opened two times Top Gun? What? Are you kidding me? I remember Top Gun. And Top Gun was a. Huge movie, you know. And then I looked at the numbers, the screens. Oh, you could look it up. It just says, you know, right. I've got the articles, I saved, you know. And I was like, wow. And the thing is, the thing just kept selling, and it's become a cult favorite. So, matter of fact, this year it's been released on Blu-ray, DVD.
2: Yeah, they've. And then, it, a- then
0: there was another release a couple of years before that. And that thing just kept selling just forever, hundreds of thousands of copies every year for the past. Thirty-five
2: years. It even popped up as a poster in the new Hobbs and Shaw movie. there's a poster of Cobra in the background, you know what? And the new Hobbs and Shaw movie with The Rock. There's a poster of Cobra in the background oh, of one really? of the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: I didn't see that.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you see, it's it's become and it's really become like a cult classic. And I remember at the time, I don't know, like people were. I, it was good for me because you know the song and the film, you know it was my first solo record. I was so excited about that. I didn't care <laughs> I don't know what people thought of the film. But but um I remember that people were a little bit disappointed, maybe because it was the first time that Stallone took like a uh, a different kind of role. You know, he always played the underdog. And that's, you know, kind of what made him Right. Cool to everybody. Oh, poor Rocky, oh, poor Rambo, stuck in the woods by himself. You know, <laughs> I mean? sudden, you know what I mean? Then all of a sudden, he's like, I'm Cobra. You know what I mean? And I think people like, wait a minute. You know? You're supposed to be the underdog. You know?
2: Not the so totally. I think
0: that, that that's my opinion. That it had something to do with why, you know, people didn't really... Uh, some people love it. Some people think it's the best movie they've ever seen. If you look up online, you see... Really mixed opinions.
2: I'm a huge Stallone fan. You know that was supposed to be Beverly Hills Cop. He was, uh, it was the movie he was gonna do, but they didn't want to do a dark movie. They wanted to do something light and funny. So that's turned, ah. it, it turned into Cobra. Well, what did you think? Of, what did you think of the movie? I've. It's hard. I'm a f- like he's Rocky's my favorite movie, so I'm a Stallone apologist to the nth degree. So I can't give you an honest opinion other than I like it because I'm a. But I. That's yeah, it. I'm, I'm,
0: I'm the same way. I'm a Stallone fan. I mean, I think he's just, I think the guy's just a genius. I just think, think he's made, like, a lot of great movies, a lot of great movies. And even the last ones, even the last, oh, yeah. you know, that last one, the, that last, not Rocky, what's what's the last one that came out? That was
2: great, too. Creed? Creed. Uh, Creed. Oh, yeah.
0: Creed is great, too. Uh,
3: here's, my, here's my opinion on Cobra. It was, it was kind of... Um, for For a kid watching it as you know middle teens or whatever it delved upon like i don't it seemed like it had a touch of maybe um, to some taboo situations of I don't know it felt like it was almost like the organized crime and it was like somewhat satanic or something like that. It just seemed like hmm. it had all these like elements these underlying elements on it that. I don't know, Bob, what do you think? Did you kind of feel the same way too or not? It's
2: been a while, i oh. being totally honest. <laughs> it's today. been a while since it, I gotta rewatch it actually. <laughs> yeah, you said sure. Satan, I'm in. Let's go yeah. rewatch it. <laughs>
0: um
3: I wanted to touch upon with you uh the, the status of Crown of Thorns. Um I know it's been a while since Crown of Thorns have had a release. Um okay. is are we gonna see anything from Crown of Thorns ever again, or what what's the what's the status of the band?
0: Okay. Well, I mean I don't know if you know what happened, but when Crown of Thorns originally was myself and then I had bought in Mickey Free and Tony Thompson and you know, for this rock band that I'd done for Interscope. I had originally I was offered a solo deal with Interscope by Jimmy Iovine originally. And for some reason I wanted to do you know something different, kinda of like what I had done with Voodoo X. So I pitched to Jimmy to do this is a Crown of Thorns record instead. And we did that. Um, the record did not come out on Interscope, but it ended up coming out all all over the world, you know? And then Mm -hmm. Tony Thompson passed away. So we did a couple of dates. Tony Thompson passed away. He was doing some power station stuff too. Um, And then Mickey stayed around. We did it. We did some UK touring because the record did very well over in Europe, you know? So England, it stayed on the rock charts for like six months. So it was like really pretty successful. So we um, toured it for a while and then you know then we well, i fired mickey and so he was out of the band i brought in tommy lafferty who was from originally from voodoo x and so now it wasn't really great you know and i kept it under the moniker Crowd of thorns all right mm-hmm. but to be honest with you we did what eight albums
1: mm-hmm.
0: and out of those eight albums to be perfect on i played most of the instruments on most of the albums you're a so.
3: your prince for that band
0: <laughs> but at the time I was very vague in the credits you know yes. what I mean I was like, it was kind of just like you know I did not specific who played on why it was just more like you know this is the band and I kind of I think I felt like I wanted to be under a band moniker at that time and then I, what's happened over the years is I started realizing that people were getting in touch with me and saying okay so you're going to tour with Crown of Thorns and then somebody else would call me and say you're going to tour with Voodoo X and then they say, Oh, we want to hear your tourist Jean Beauvoir solo, because Feel the Heat was my biggest hit by far of, of, of any of these projects. So um it, it got a little bit confusing. So I and I also realized that I was kind of losing my own identity. You know, because mm-hmm. I was like, you know, people would be saying, Oh, we want to hear the original lineup of Crown of Thorns. like, but there is no original <laughs> lineup, you know. It's like, in other words, I'd created a A fantasy that actually didn't exist. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? Exactly. In a way. So I decided um, a couple of years ago to just say, let me put everything under one umbrella. First of all, to regain, you know, and getting older. And I started feeling, if you're not careful, you know, years are going to go by and people are not going to put this together with this. They're going to think that, you know, I I think I was on Spotify one time and they said, oh, we're looking for your music shop. We only found one album. I said, one album? Wait a minute. (laughs) <laughs> you've done one album in like 30 years or something, I'm like, wait a minute something's wrong with this picture I've been you know, making albums and working for all these years, but people aren't putting it together you know uh-huh. what I mean? somehow, so I decided let me do, let me go back out as, as a solo artist with, with a great band, you know, same thing but at the same time create a show where I play a little bit of everything so, you know, my set now consists of crown of thorns i do probably six seven songs like the most popular songs from crown of thorns even though we have a lot of songs you know i have to do like a four-hour set to hit all the songs (laughs) because there's like seven eight albums you know um and there are i think a a lot of good songs too that we could be doing but people some people want to hear crown of thorns but then i've got other fans that want to hear voodoo x because voodoo x in germany did really well same thing with the uk so these people are like we want to hear Voodoo Queen, we want to hear The Awakening, we want to hear this, and then everybody wants to hear Feel the Heat and other songs from the solo records. So I felt that that was the best compromise. At least that's how I'm thinking right now. You know, mm-hmm. I might change my mind or, you know, decide that you know, I want to release all the kind Crownstone of stuff on vinyl or or do something as the future goes. But I've decided for the moment that I wanted to you know focus on you know my identity, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. um, for one thing and, and make sure that people connect all these things, which is why I released two albums last year called Rock Masterpieces, and it combines different songs from different things so that people all know who did what on what.
3: Ah, uh, Brilliant.
0: You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I just I put it all together because I own all the masters. I put everything all together so that people can say, you know, we'll no longer say, oh, you haven't done anything for 25 years you know <laughs> so they can see okay and then it actually has full credits it says exactly who did what on what <laughs> everything in other words everything's out open you know as it is because unfortunately the first lineup of crown of thorns which was you know the first debut album which had tony and mickey and everything tony's gone you know it's mm-hmm. not there so You know what I'm saying? So it's almost people taking credit for things that they didn't do because they weren't there. You know what I mean? So it didn't make that much sense to me anymore. I felt that this is maybe the smartest way to go to try to satisfy everybody and myself.
3: I'm so glad that you brought up um, Tony's name because I got two more questions for you. And One was Tony. Um, So back when in the 80s, I remember Rolling Stone had put together an article and it had the remaining members of Led Zeppelin and and Tony at the drums. Um, was there anything to that that that, that Zeppelin was going to reunite and and put Tony behind the drum kit? is, yes. is there is something to that.
0: Yeah, that was going to happen for sure. That, that's a, and I, I'm I'm not sure exactly what happened. I think there was a car accident involved or something that that kind of or something that made the thing not work out. But that was the plan. He was the guy slated for that.
3: Was for it sure. was it one of those kind of things yeah. where they were going to create some new music with him, or were they just going to go out and play the, the the Zeppelin catalog? Do you know?
0: I actually don't know those details, but I think I think it was a catalog thing. I don't uh, I don't know if they were prepared to make a new album. Uh. I don't know. I, I don't want to talk out of line. I'm I'm not sure. I'm sure that information's available because I have seen this on online about him, um, you know, being the drummer for this new Zeppelin situation at the time.
3: You know, it's so it's so funny too. You know, because that was obviously way before the internet, and you know, we had a couple of guys in our neighborhood that would get Rolling Stone, the magazine and that came out, and that was that was hot commodity back then when they was like, "Holy crap!" You know, Led Zeppelin is coming back together again, and they got Tony Thompson on drums. It, it was like it, it was like a dream wow. come true. You know what I mean? It, I guess for, you for know, us,
0: he would have been great. He, he would have been great for it. Tony was a great drummer. He great. was.
3: Okay, so last question. This is. I always like to throw the uh, curveball question
0: for the last question. Okay. Uh, this Uh-oh. is. Yeah. This the is a.
3: a <laughs> right. This is a Plasmatics question. So you know the the Plasmatics not only you know were you guys a punk rock band, but you were a performing arts band as well. And it seemed like at the time that the performant, the performance arts, the 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 blowing up of cars and sawing guitars and whatever (laughs) that was going on on stage kind of overshadowed the music. Do you ever kind of feel like the plasmatics did not get their due musically because the art, the performance art kind of overshadowed the the music itself?
0: Well, yeah, I I would say that. And I think that we were getting getting pretty close because it's pretty interesting. There were some pretty... You know, first of all, let's face it. I mean, Wendy didn't have the most commercial voice. If we're just going to talk about, you know what I mean? It's just not, it wasn't, she, she was great at what she did, but it wasn't like, you know, we're talking, you know, hit radio, you know, right. kind of stuff. You know what I mean? But I'll tell you that the music was actually a lot more complicated and in-depth than a lot of people would believe. And I say this to a lot. The people because you know i do a lot of talking about punk rock and you know how hard that can be how difficult it is to play etc and i could tell you firsthand that even auditioning musicians to find a drummer to play in the plasmatics we auditioned everybody i'm talking about big cats and it was really difficult to find a drummer who could actually play the songs because it had it's a simple nuance that like the drummer has to do everything in 16th i don't know how musically Inclined you guys are, mm-hmm. but everything has to be played. You know, you know, in 16. So the drummer has to be able to play at this speed that those songs were going. Especially with all the stuff blowing up and everything else, because you're distracted, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> and all this stuff is <laughs> happening. And uh, of course, it's live, so everything's twice as fast. So that was extremely difficult. And there were some really difficult bass parts in there. I mean, I had even my guys that i've used for my bands or stuff like that the hardest song to play for them has been the plasmatic song you know i had this song called master plan Mm -hmm.
1: in there yeah
0: and if you go back and listen to that song and listen to the bass parts and listen to all the stuff that's going on in there it's actually pretty intricate and it's um you know matter of fact i just did that rock of ages show and i was using a different band and I, i couldn't even put it in the set (laughs) <laughs> it's like we started it we started it I listened I said forget it it's out <laughs> like let's skip that song oh, and we funny. didn't even you know we didn't even entertain doing it because it was just you know it would take you know a long time for them to, to learn to play properly mm-hmm. you know it's, um, it's an interesting art punk rock that people don't understand, you know, you get a lot of metal guitar players and other people who are used to doing one thing, like metal's very precise and, Mm -hmm. you know, everything's all right on there. Then when you ask them to try to sound like the Ramones and to just play where it's not definitive, but it's fast, but it's, you know, it's no exact set of how, what the volume you want to give to your pick. You have to kind of like, you know, it, it's a feeling thing. Right. It, it, it's hard. It's almost like groove. You know, trying to get people to groove. You know, they might be able to play with a click, but doesn't mean that they understand groove. Which mm-hmm. is why I said, for example, we talked about Tony, and I said Tony was a fantastic drummer because Tony had a groove. He knew exactly how to play the drums to a point where even if he's playing to a click, you know, maybe he's got to delay the snare. You know, a couple of. <laughs> milliseconds or something so that it has a certain feeling that makes people move, you know right. what I mean? So it's, um, yeah. So anyways, I think I got a little sidetracked here, but basically, <laughs> yeah. So as far as the, the show definitely overshadowed the band. Uh, I mean, as far as that, I think we could have gone a lot further musically because I think it was evolving as we were going forward. But by the time I left the band, uh, the manager kind of decided he wanted to take the band in a more metal direction, which is when they did the coup d'etat record,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: which actually is a good record. You know, was, you know, I wasn't involved with that record, but it was a good record. But the band had already moved into I, I didn't like the idea of the Van Gogh metal that band. I love metal, but I just didn't feel it was right for the plasmatics just because I felt that this is something that's already done. It's already been done very well <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean, right. by a lot of people. And I think that if you know cosmetics are their own thing, we have our own style. If anything, we should evolve that style and stick to you know what we're doing and get better at that, and maybe take that to a new place rather than to jump on a bandwagon. Uh,
3: well, that was
2: the last question I had for you tonight, Bob. Do you have any more questions? No, this has been a ton of fun, and I uh, uh, thanks for taking the time. And it's really flown by. Yeah, it <laughs> okay. has. It's been. A, but
3: uh, before we let you go, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote?
0: Well, I mean, like I said, I'm doing a lot of writing this year, so you keep your eyes open for that. I'm working on a life story book, which will talk about a lot of this stuff, because I'll get into all of this, you know, things that happen at the Plasmatics, the Kiss, to the Ramones, to different people I've met along the way through this whole journey of mine that started quite a long time ago. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and that's it. And keep your eyes open for me out on the road. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with the U.S., but actually... I've, I've got an initial offer for doing a fairly lengthy tour here in the states that would start as early as November. Oh, it's wow. not defend, I'm like, I can't say anything about it because right. it's still in. You know, we're still talking about it. But if everybody should just keep their eyes open, that would be great because I'd love to play the states for a while. It's been far too long, you know. And um, so, yeah, just my websites, Facebook, uh, Instagram, my actual website, JeanBeauvoir.com. You know, we'll always keep information up there to keep everybody abreast of what's happening.
3: Well fantastic. Well, this is how it's gonna work out. We have a couple of episodes before yours. So what do you think, Bob? About three weeks, do you think? Give it take. Yeah. yeah, about three three weeks. And then uh, Bob will have it all edited and once it's uh ready, I will send the link to Suzanne and if you could share it to all your social media, that'd be fantastic.
0: I will and of course I wanna thank, you know, everybody who's been supporting me for all these years, you guys and you know and the fans and everybody else out there I, I really really appreciate
3: it yeah absolutely and uh, you know anytime you want to come back on the podcast uh, Suzanne's got my email uh, have her contact me we'd love to have you back on sometime in the future
0: oh, alright great we'll do it again alright Jean. All right. thank you so much ok I enjoyed it guys take, take care. It easy.
3: thank you Bye-bye. Bye-bye. bye bye bye
1: Stop!